0: at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: A very common question that I receive is this. How should I behave? People would like to have a list of those things to do and those things not to do. Many people like rules. They want a godly order in their life. I appreciate that. But they want it simply to be written out for them. And this is not spirituality. Why isn't it? Because what should we do? We need to be in the Word of God, studying the Scripture. Within the Scripture, God tells us those things to do and those things not to do. And we need to be led by the Spirit. So what should I do? How should I behave? Read the word of God and be guided by the spirit of God that he might lead you and order your steps and bring you into his will where you can do his purposes and bring glory and honor to his name. So it's not simply getting a bunch of rules, but it's reading the word of God and listening to the Holy Spirit to lead you where god would have you to be and the holy spirit because he is god he will do just that he will lead you into truth he will produce righteous behavior in your life and all of this will be rooted in the authority of god's word well take out your bible and look with me to the book of psalms and psalm 101 the book of psalms And Psalm 101. Here in this short Psalm, David, we're going to find in a moment that he is the author of this Psalm. And he is going to give us much advice, wise counsel, in order to help us put God's plans into purpose for our life. He's going to tell us some of those things we should do and some of those things we should not do. We need to listen to Him, and we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit working in our life to bring these things into fulfillment, that we might be that type of person that is faithful to God, and not only faithful, but also individuals that live humbly in this world, knowing that we, first and foremost, are servants of God. Of the living God that is a privilege it is an honor but in order to be a servant you must be humble you must know that anything that good that happens in your life it is from him we're just his vessel oftentimes a broken vessel that he has repaired one that he's willing to use with our, all of our human frailties and sometimes weaknesses but God is good. He can take people like you and me and use us to accomplish His will. And again, what a privilege that is. Well, take out your Bible and look there, if you would. As I mentioned to you, we're going to be in the Book of Psalms and Psalm 101. And notice how it begins. It says, "Le David Mizmor," which means, "Of David by David." a psalm and this word psalm Ms. Moore, we talked about it last week it relates to a psalm that when we we say that psalm prayerfully and we want to apply it to our life it is going to be an instrument that psalm itself is going to become an instrument that trims our life that helps us get rid of those things that are not uh, productive in a spiritual sense, those things that are a hindrance to the work of God and His workmanship in our life. So we read here, of David, a psalm. And pay attention to the next two words, chesed, u mishpat. Chesed, the best way to translate that word, is grace. And notice it says grace and And the next word would be either justice or judgment. Now, there's the same word. We may translate it differently because this word, Mishpat, can mean judgment or justice. But here's what I would say to you. The grace of God works in a believer, not just to save us, but also that we might have judgment. What does that mean? In this context, discernment that we might make the right decisions, not foolish decisions, but wise decisions that are in line with the purpose of God. I've shared with you many times that there is a relationship between the grace of God and the will of God. One of the purposes of God's grace is to bring us into his will whereby we see things from his perspective we are able to execute justice do those things that are right that's what judgment is putting things in order so we read here grace and judgment I will sing and this word for singing has to do with esteeming something and to do so publicly to do so before other individuals that they might know that you are committed to the grace of god and that's going to lead you to judgment godly judgment and the outcome of that is justice then he says to you O lord i will sing but it's a synonym what's called in hebrew mila it's not the first word that i talked about for saying asherah but it is the word azamera azamera it means to sing as well but perhaps in most bibles will say sing praises but did you know it's that same root that talks about getting rid of things trimming away those things that are not productive that won't produce fruit in our life so yes we're supposed to esteem these things and realize when we proclaim them publicly and demonstrate them publicly god is going to go to work in our life to bring about changes the changes that he wants verse two now when we esteem justice when we are led by grace what's going to be the outcome what can we expect to happen well look at verse two we see this word Now, the word sechel means intelligence, understanding. Uh, Sechel, yeshar, is common sense. But there's nothing common about this. This is an understanding. This is a knowledge that comes from heaven. And we notice here it's in the the hif'el, which means to make. So David is really pleading with god that god makes him wise that god would give to him understanding that he would be made to see things correctly to have that proper perspective and then he says i will be a one of understanding in the way of the upright now this word for upright is going to appear a few times in the next uh, verse or two and it's the word tamim the word "tam" relates to someone who is dependent upon god someone who relies upon him and there's another aspect this one knows that left to himself he can't handle everything in his life he needs assistance he needs someone to trust depend upon rely upon to lean upon and who would that be god it is wise when we want to walk in dependence upon god and to do so in an upright way god is going to give us understanding this is what verse 2 is saying and what's also going to be the outcome well notice the last part of the verse where it says matai tavo a which means when will you come to me and the implication is this when I trust God when I rely upon him when my objective is to to do so build my life on that which is upright and proper and I want to be made to to have the proper perspective to see things correctly with understanding and knowledge god is going to come into that person's life and then he says and again when you look at this in the original language there's so much uh, insightful things that are being presented for example your bible will say i will walk in the uprightness of my heart in the midst of my house But this word for walking, and it's in the future, it's not the word elech. That's the normal word, the word that would be expected. Now, it's the same root, but it's in a unique grammatical construction, what's called the hitpalel. There's a reflexive aspect. What does that mean? Well, frequently, the hitpalel speaks about something going out and coming back. You do your part, and there's a response from God. But in, in this context, the hitpalel is referring to something different, a consistency. What he's saying is, I'm going to walk, and notice what the Word of God reveals. I will walk, and it's this back and forth, this consistency. I will walk consistently in the uprightness of my heart. What's this word upright? I mentioned it earlier. It's the same word. It's being repeated where he's talking about in the way of a heart that trusts God, rely upon god depend upon god lean upon god and what is that going to do it is going to lead him to where he ought to be in the midst of my house god is going to cause this one to have influence over his family and let me ask you as a father of three I want there to be good influence on my children they're not young anymore they're in their 30s or late 20s and I want them to have godly influence over them and what God is saying is this when I approach life realizing God wisdom understanding intelligence knowledge is from you and I want you to give me that so I can walk in an upright way that I can demonstrate my reliance and dependence upon you, God is going to move where in the midst of my house. Now look at verse three. He says, "Lo, a sheet devar What does he say here? I will not put before my eyes a thing, a matter of wickedness. Now, the word here for wicked is the term yaal. I mention that for one main reason. It appears several times in the Torah, also a few times within the prophets, and it speaks about those. In fact, when I look at this word in the, the Bible that I have, underneath the Biblical texts it has helps to understand it with modern Hebrew. And it says here, beli ya'al, if you look at this, it has the same letters just one extra for beli ol. What's beli ol? No restraint. And ol is the Hebrew word for a yoke. And it's someone who has thrown off the yoke. He has no restraint. He does what he wants. Now, King Shlomo, that is King Solomon, said this is a way of futility, of vanity. It does not produce anything that's lasting, anything of significance. Anything that's done without restraint is going to be uh, done away with. So David is looking for something quite different. And he says, I will not put before my eyes... A matter of this unrestraint, this wickedness. These individuals sometimes bali yaal. It's Bane bali yaal, sons of wickedness. He says, "I don't want anything to do with that way of life or people like that." And what do they do? Well, notice the next phrase: aso satim. Now, this means. Those who do something—it's actually in the the, the third person—and it speaks about a person who does a work, and the work team is turning the wrong direction, going after the wrong thing, being led astray. We have the term stut. Stut is a a a matter that is different than the acceptable. And acceptable is what's acceptable to God. So it's a a change of that. A distortion would be a, a better way to understand. So those things that are related to that which distorts the things of God, what does David say? He says, Saneti, I have hated. And we see here the construction means that he has Thoroughly, utterly, completely, in its entirety, he has hated these things that turn us away from the right path. And he says, it will not cling to me. Those things that are related to a a change, a distortion, a, a deviating from what is right, David says, they're not going to touch me. They're not going to cling to my life. They're not going to have any influence over me. And furthermore, he says, look at verse four, the heart of one who oppresses people. He says, such a one or such a heart remove from me. Now, David doesn't want an oppressive heart. That is the mindset that is is oppressive to people. David doesn't want their influence. He doesn't want to have such a heart. So he's pleading to God, God, remove from me anything that is related to an oppressive way of thinking. And then he concludes this verse, verse 4, by saying, Ra lo eda," which means evil. What's that? That which is against the will of God. He says, that which is against the will of God, evil, I will not know. This word for know can be an experiential one. There's two different words for knowing something in Hebrew. One is la kir. Now, this is to have knowledge. For example, you may have knowledge of a country because you visited that. But you may just have knowledge of that country because you've heard of it. You've seen it in a map. You read a book about it. That's Le'akir. But to visit there and experience it and know the culture, well, that is an experiential knowledge, and that would be Ladat. And this is what this word comes from. When he says, evil, I will not know, he says, I won't experience that. I don't want anything that's connected with that which is in opposition opposed in 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 contrast to the will of god then he says look now at verse five slander the one who slanders in secret his neighbor david says him i will destroy now this word for destruction has a degree of permanency some Bibles will translate this word as to eradicate, to exterminate, meaning it does not come back. And that shows David's seriousness about this matter. So, so speaking in a slanderous, in a libelous way against another, David says, someone who does that secretly, this person, David says, him, I will destroy forever and the one with gava anayim this would be high eyes and it's related to someone who is is pride we use the old hebrew or the old english word haughty someone who is prideful someone who thinks too highly of himself that's what it's speaking about and then the next phrase urchav levav what is that well this is going to be very practical and very, uh, what I would say, politically incorrect. Why? Because David is going to say in this passage, this that we're going to talk about, he says, I will not uh, uh, have. I. I. It will not be part of me. David is thoroughly against this. And what is this? Well, it's what I said. Urchav levav. We're talking about the heart, and some will say a a heart of of pride, but this word literally, rechaf, if you check it out, it simply means a broad heart. Some would say an open heart. Heart is synonymous with mind. Haven't you heard people say all the time, oh, you need to be open-minded? No, you don't. Your mind needs to be closed and closed upon the Word of God, that revelation. Don't open up your minds to all these different uh, influences. That's what the enemy does. Don't be narrow-minded. Narrow-minded, we see that as negative, but in actuality. This is why God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Our ways, narrow-mindedness is bad. God says it's good. In fact, God says right in this passage of scripture, David has been inspired him to write it down, a wide heart, which means a broad uh, perspective. It, it will not be. I am not going to have that as part of my existence. And furthermore, he says, look now at verse six. My eyes are going to be on what? On the faithful ones of the land to sit with me David wants the faithful ones of the land and this is probably the land of Israel to sit with him he doesn't want the broad-minded people oh that's that's what the world applause but we need to be very close-minded and let me give an example of this we see that that Coming within the body of believers are leaders, and they're not godly leaders, and they are trying to move their congregations that they're supposed to feed the word of God with. What do they do? They become very progressive, and they want to look at things and make their congregations more relevant, they think, to a greater part of society. And what do they do? they compromise they become highly influenced by this woke mentality this this mindset that that embraces a lot of foolishness i heard someone on an interview show not too long ago and they were saying you know you need to be more open minded about this that that someone can be born one way but be something else and that that you may be attracted to a variety of different uh, people maybe one moment you're attracted to a man the next moment you're attracted to a woman you need to be open to that no you don't that is an abomination that is against the order of god god is not going to be pleased with that and instead of being blessed by him you are going to experience his punishment and if you're not a believer and a true believer rejects these things Now, could we struggle? We might struggle with a variety of sins, but a true believer embraces God's standards. If you don't embrace God's standards of morality, God's standards for sin and transgression and iniquity, if we think those standards are fluid and they change with society and different times and such, if that's what we think, I assure you, you are not a believer. The word of God, the counsel of God stands forever. It is always relevant. It does not need to be adapted, changed in any way, shape, or form. Do not be open-minded. He says here, his eyes, the eyes of David, he says, my eyes are on the faithful ones of the land. He wants them to sit with him. Why? He wants the influence of other faithful individuals. And what do they do? Well, if they are faithful, they are going to, notice what it says, such a one, it's in the singular, he walks in the way, and there's that same word for uprightness, but remember what we learned. It's a word of dependence, trusting, relying upon. And therefore he says... He who walks in the way of reliance, dependence, and the implication is on God, what will this one do? He will serve me. Now, what does that mean? Well, we have uh, uh, a couple different thoughts here, but just very simply, this is the one that David wants influenced by. He wants this one to minister to him, not those who are, are embracing the philosophy and the broad-mindedness of this world and the ever-changing morality of this world. The morality of God never changes. His word endures forever. So he's saying such a one is who he wants to be influenced by. Verse 7. He will not sit... In the midst of my house, who won't sit in the midst of David's house? The one who does deceit. Now, realize deceitfulness is a, a characteristic that goes with the enemy, with Satan himself and with the Antichrist in the last days. What does the Messiah say? He says, don't let anyone deceive you. And he's specifically speaking in a last days context also the apostle paul says this in second thessalonians chapter two so we don't want to be deceived we have to guard our minds make them very narrow we need to to guard the influence that is coming into our life and david says he will not sit in the midst of my house who won't the one who does deceit who speaks keep reading in verse seven he who speaks lies he will not be established before my eyes meaning he won't have a place to to be to dwell to influence before my eyes david is not going to let such a person have a sphere of influence in his life or over his family now let's look at the last verse verse uh, eight where it says What is that? The word boker is morning. This is the word boker in the plural. And therefore it's bekarim and it has of before it. So of the morning, what does that mean? Of the morning is an idiom for that which has priority. That which is taking emphasis. That which is important to you. And he says... In the morning, and it's in the plural consistently, morning after morning, what will I do? I will cut down. It's that word for exterminating, eradicating in a permanent manner. I will destroy all, what does he say? The wicked ones of the earth. I will cut off from the city of the Lord all workers those who do activities that are wicked those things that are contrary the word here is Aven, which is something wicked notice david is not uh, standing by idly david is not uh, confused by and recently uh, i did a discussion with christian barrio nuevo concerning vengeance and unfortunately people sometimes and they may have the best intentions but but they look at the scripture it says vengeance is mine says the lord that's true ultimately that final pouring out of vengeance but we're called to execute justice don't let that that verse vengeance is mine causes us to sit idly abide does does david do that what does david say david says earlier on go back to verse 5 he says The one who speaks slanderous in a libelous manner, in secret against his neighbor, him, he says, I will eradicate, I will destroy. And the implication is permanently. Also, he says here, same word. Look at verse 8 now. Of the morning, meaning of a priority, I will destroy, here again, permanently eradicate all the wicked ones of the earth, to cut down, to cut off, in other words, from the city of the Lord, all those who practice wickedness, all those who are doing activities that are wicked and not righteous. So Psalm 101, I believe that when we read it carefully, when we study it together, When we apply that truth to our life, when we meditate upon it and pray thoroughly through this psalm, we are going to learn some things that teaches us how we should behave. And as you deal with this psalm more and more, read it over and over and over this week. And you're going to find that God's going to use these words and what we, we talked about in this teaching. He is going to use the Psalm in order to bring conviction, giving you counsel. This is not for you. This is that wickedness. This is that which you should not be looking upon. Your mind's too open up for these things. You need to close it up. You need to be narrow-minded. You need to get this out of your home, away from your family. Don't let this be part of your business plan, how you're carrying on your work. You're going to find... That if you truly study and, and, and meditate, what does that mean, meditate? To read this psalm slowly and carefully. And then after reading it once, pray, God, give me the understanding. Help me apply your truth of this psalm to my life. When we do that, not just a few minutes, but a few hours. And we do it maybe a couple weeks that's praying through the Psalms. This is, is washing yourself with the word. When you do that, it is going to have a righteous effect upon you. There is a power to the book of Psalms. And this Psalm 101, short just eight verses, but eight powerful verses, eight insightful verses, eight verses that have a lot of to apply to our life that we might be people that truly live out our faith in a God-honoring way. I'll close with that. Shalom from Israel.
0: Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website